My friends, you know that we have a high calling Amen. in the Lord. I don't care what He has called you to do. We all, if we call ourselves Christian by name, we have a high calling. Amen. We are called to live to a higher standard. And the passage that I'm going to read this morning reveals that. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 2. Last week I began with 1 John chapter 1. You know, I love God's Word. And if I had to pick out a book of the Bible that I would call my favorite, I'd be hard-pressed because there's so many. I love the Gospels uh, that reveal Jesus' ministry and with the disciples. And I love the Old Testament. It reveals the history with the patriarchs. You know, I would say maybe numbers I'm going crazy about. You know, read all that. You know, the chronological order of things. But First John, the epistles of John, I could say I love them dearly, but I don't know that I could say I love them more than others, but I love them dearly. And if I had to use one word to describe the epistles of John, it would be assurance. Because I believe that we find such assurance of our faith in the epistles of John. And I think you'll see what I mean today as we read through this scripture. Go ahead and begin, I'll read it and then we'll have a prayer. I titled it, By This We Know, and we won't have to read very far before you'll understand what it is that we will know. 1 John 2, 1-17 My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteousness. It is His righteous by which we are made righteous. Amen? Amen. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, so his commandments are part of his word, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know, here's another by this we know, by this we know that we are in him. So again, how do we know that we are in him? If we keep his commands. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So my friends, we are to walk as Jesus walked. We are to live as Jesus lived. He who says... I've already read that. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which things is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. If you are a believer and you hate your brother, you are in darkness. It doesn't get any plainer than that. If you call yourself, again, I'm saying, if you call yourself a Christian and you hate your brother, you better get on your knees and repent. I'll get the end of this soon. I'm going to preach my way through it, right? He who loves his brother abides in the light, 
and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. These next three verses are very key. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. May God add His blessing to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank You for Your amazing love. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your righteousness, Father. It's not our own, Lord, but it's Your righteousness in us. Father, we thank You for that. We thank You for the the written word. And Lord, we thank You that we can use it to guide us and direct us. And Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And we invite Your Spirit to be present in this place today. We invite Your Spirit to be present over the airways as this message goes out over the internet. And Father, we just pray that great things will be done for Your glory and for Your honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our passage begins with John referring to those that will be reading this message as little children. And most likely that he is referring to converts that he had led to Christ. Churches maybe that he has started. So he's referring to them as little children. They are his children in the Lord. But it also could be that John is well advanced in years by now. We've heard that term before. And he may refer to those younger than him as little children. You know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and sons and daughters in Christ. My little children. But I believe and know with all my heart that these letters are meant for all Christians everywhere. So don't believe that those words that I just spoke was only for those people back then. Brothers and sisters, they are for us today. This word is for all time. So it is also for all Christians everywhere to encourage us. As I said, as we get through the book of John, the first or the epistle of John, to give us that assurance to guide us, to comfort us. You know, these people in John's day, they had questions, they had concerns. That's what this chapter is all about. They had concerns. So at the heart of this chapter, or the context, whichever you would like to call it, is how do we know for sure? How do we know for sure that we are in right relationship with God? That's what is at the heart of this. Because he's answering the question, by this you will know. By this you will know that you know Him. By this you will know that you are in Him. They had questions. They had doubts. So he's explaining. Here's how you will know. 
they were feeling guilty. They were feeling condemned because we have sinned. Right? We have sinned. How, how do we know that we're saved? I'm, we keep stumbling, John. We keep stumbling. We keep sinning. We keep messing up. Does anybody here ever mess up? Come on now. Alright, I'll be the first to raise my hand. Right. We mess up sometimes, don't we? Are we still saved? Yes. They were having the same concern. They were needing reassurance. They were needing reassurance about their salvation. They had doubts. My friends, it's still a common problem today. I have had many conversations with people over the years that were Christians and you'd ask, are you saved? Do you know today that if you die, do you know that you are saved, that you live in eternity with God? Well, I hope so. Could be the response. Or I hope so. Well, I've been a good person. I believe, but I think so. I hope so. I think so. And all those common answers. So it's still a problem today of people having that assurance of their salvation. How do we know? You know, salvation, in a general sense, is the preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. That is what salvation is. So I'm going to jog your memories today of us older folks. Now, you young folks won't remember this because you were not around. Back in mid-October of 1987, there was an event that happened that had many viewers around the nation glued to their television sets. 18-month-old Jessica McClure, McClure was rescued after being trapped for 58 hours in an abandoned well in Midland, Texas. The drama unfolded on the morning of October the 14th when Jessica fell through an 8-inch wide opening of an abandoned well while playing with other children in the backyard of her aunt's home, her home daycare. After dropping 22 feet into the well, little Jessica became stuck. And over the next two and a half days, crews of rescuers and mining experts worked together with local volunteers around the clock to drill a shaft parallel to the one that Jessica was trapped in and then to tunnel horizontally through the dense rock to connect the two shafts. A microphone was lowered into the well so that they could keep tabs on little Jessica, who they could hear her at times crying, at other times they could hear her humming, and sometimes she was singing throughout the ordeal. But on October the 16th, a bandaged and dirt-covered little baby Jessica was brought out of that well. She became known as Baby Jessica. But she was pulled to safety by those paramedics. So for little baby Jessica, those crews of rescuers, mining experts, and paramedics, they were her salvation. Were they not? They saved her from death. They were her salvation. But friends, salvation in a spiritual sense is the deliverance. It is the rescue from sin Amen. and the consequences thereof. Amen. Because Romans 6.23, the first part says, the wages of sin is death. Period. The wages of sin is death. Because of sin, we have death. The very first sin brought about death. 
Animals had to be sacrificed to make the covering. But because of sin, he said, you shall die. So the wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. But praise the Lord, the verse doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the gift of God. John said, I'll write these things to you so that you may not sin. He is instructing them to lead a holy life, to keep themselves from sin. High calling to keep themselves from sin. The, day, the people in John's day dealt with the same things that people deal with today. There's nothing new under the sun. You might think, well, things are so evil and wicked today. I'm telling you, they were evil and wicked in John's day. They dealt with the same things that we deal with today. Verses 6, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. So let's begin there. They dealt with that. The lust, what's the lust of the flesh? To desire this fleshly body to, be, to experience all the joys and pleasures the world has to offer. Whether it be fornication, adultery, all that. They dealt with that. We're dealing with it today. The lust of the flesh to fulfill the desires of this fleshly body. The lust of the eyes. Well, the commandments are, hey, they're all in there. The lust of the eyes. We look at that which our neighbor has and we covet it. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments, right? Don't let that lust of the eye draw you away from the Lord, but keep your eyes on Him. The pride of life. Oh, we like to feel proud, don't we? We want to feel important. We like to feel like we're good and maybe better than others. Don't let pride bring you down. My friends, what did Jesus do? He humbled Himself. Washed the disciples' feet. What did I say? Walk as He walked. Let's humble ourselves. Because all these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, my friends, is not of the Father. But it is of the world. And we are, yes, we are in this world, but we're not to be of this world. Because the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. My friends, there's that gift, that promise. So it's the same old, same old. Same old stuff. There's nothing new. We live in a fallen world. And yes, my friends, evil is abundant. Temptation is lurking around every corner. But we as believers have overcome every temptation. We can overcome every temptation known to man with the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it of ourselves, but with the Holy Spirit's help, we can. You know, not only in a passage from 1 John today, but throughout the Bible, the theme is very clear. Turn from sin. Turn from sin and lead a holy life. Because our God is a holy God. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. They don't have the extra Scriptures today because I didn't have all this figured out. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And Karen's going to giggle because I asked Google, what's the definition of gird? 
You know, I used to have a horse when I was a teenager. And you'd throw that saddle over your horse, and you had a leather strap that hung down. You had to reach and grab it, pull it under, and put it through these loops and cinch it up tight. You had to gird it up and pull it tight. So when you got on that, well, for one thing, so you could get on the horse without the saddle going whoop, right? And so that when you're riding along, that you're upright and not off of the horse. So you gird up them leather straps. That's what it means. It's a belt or a bond. So you gird up the loins of your mind. Pull it tight. Get a grip on it. Don't just live willy-nilly, but get a grip on your life. Give it to Him and gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. You know, Don't be drunken. Be sober. Be in control of your life. Don't give it to that bottle of whiskey, but you be in control of your life with the help of the Holy Spirit. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So not just once in a while, but be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Be responsible. Take responsibility for your life. That's a good word. Be responsible. Be responsible for your actions. Be responsible for the decisions you make. Be strong in the Lord. I better back up and say, we should say, Lord, You guide and direct every action. Lord, You guide and direct every decision. Surrender it to Him. Not our own, because we like this body to feel good, right? We want to fulfill that lust of the flesh. In John chapter 8, we'll read the story where the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the very act of adultery. We know that they brought, him to Je- brought her to Jesus <clears throat> trying to find a way to trick Him or trying to find a way with, or something that they could accuse Him of. So they bring this woman caught in adultery and they say, Teacher, we know that Moses and the law says that this woman should be stoned. But what do you say? What do you say should be done to her? Well, Jesus for a little bit acted like He didn't even hear them. He just bent down and He starts writing on the ground with His finger. He pr- they keep pressing Him. Lord, what do you say? Give us an answer on this. So finally He stands up. And He says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And He bent back down started writing on the ground again. Well, they begin to leave from the oldest to the youngest. They all leave because the conviction came upon them. They knew that each and every one of them had sinned. So they all left. Finally, Jesus stands up. He says, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. What did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. He didn't say go and continue in this same old lifestyle that you've been leading. But he says, now you go and sin no more. There's no more that we read about this woman. But I believe she went and sinned no more. 
And I believe that we'll meet her someday in a place called heaven. Because I believe that she put her faith in the one who saved her that day from stoning. My friends, go and sin no more is what He tells us to do. But if we sin, isn't this a good word? If, he, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? An advocate is one who pleads the cause of another before a tribunal or judicial court. The Greek meaning of advocate is intercessor, consoler, comforter. So he intercedes on behalf of those who repent. Those who repent of our sins, Christ intercedes on our behalf every day. We have an advocate, an intercessor with the Father pleading for us. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, He cried out, it is finished. My friends, the work of redemption is finished. It was finished that day upon that cross. The work of redemption is done. Jesus paid the penalty for sins, for my sins, your sins, for the sins of all, for all time. But when His work was completed, He didn't ascend to heaven and sit back and prop His feet up and say, well, let's just wait till the end. No, He did not. His role as the eternal shepherd of His children continues today. He is interceding for you and for me. We pray, we pray through Jesus. Pray in His name. Hebrews 7, 23-25 says, Also there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But He, speaking of Jesus, because He continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Always. He is making intercession for us today, right now, this very moment, this very hour. He makes intercession for them. The One who saved us. And also in Romans 8, 31-35, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or prayer, or sword? No. You know, we may experience these things that it is spoke of. We may experience famine. Are we going to stick with Him? Are we going to trust in the Lord? We may experience persecution. We have not experienced it a whole lot in this country. But I believe it's coming. We may not have experienced nakedness or peril or sword, but are we going to trust in Him? Yes. He is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. So if any of these things come against us, we just cry out to Him and trust in Him. Trust and obey. You know, we can pray for others. We pray for others. When we have, they have needs, we pray for them. 
in our prayers or our petitions to the Father on behalf of others. But yet His Word is very clear. There is only one advocate, one true advocate, one true mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. So we pray through Jesus. Yes, we intercede, but Christ is the mediator. We pray through Him. So why would we need an advocate? Why do we need a mediator? Well, if you find yourself here in the natural realm in a legal bind because you've committed a crime, you're going to need an advocate, right? Amen. To plead your case before the judge. You see, there's a controversy because laws have been broken. You broke that law, so therefore you need someone to represent you if you broke that law. Well, Jesus Christ is the mediator who undertakes the task of making peace to bring God and man back together. That's what His mediation does, to bring God and man back together. So Jesus has brought mankind to stand upon new terms with God so that we are now not under the law as covenant, the covenant of works, but as a rule of life. We are under grace, not under the covenant of innocence, but under a new covenant. He gave Himself as a ransom. The death of Christ was a ransom. It was a counterprice. We deserve to have died. My friends, we deserve it. Everyone before us, everyone after us, and we deserve to die for our sins. But Christ died for us to save us from death and hell. He gave Himself a ransom voluntarily, a ransom for all, so that all mankind are put in a better condition than that of devils. We're put in a better condition with God. Jesus' sacrificial death upon the cross, His selfless act of redemption, is, as verse 2 said, the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is defined as the act of making peace, doing something pleasing for someone. The word expiation brings with it the prefix ex, ex, which means out of or from. So expiation means to remove something. In the biblical sense, it's taking away. It's removing guilt. It means paying a ransom or offering an atonement. So it means paying the penalty for something. Right? So the act of expiation removes the problem by paying it. Right? So in order to satisfy that demand. So we know in the Old Testament they offered that atoning sacrifice. They had to pay for it. It removed that problem. But on the other hand, propitiation has something to do with the object of expitiation. This is getting, that's a little confusing, right? Propitiation has to do with bringing about a change in God's attitude toward us. Okay, to help bring that around. So, expitiation pays the penalty. Propitiation heals that relationship. Let's just put it in layman's terms. I know that was all confusing. But it heals that relationship. God's attitude towards mankind. Because we have sinned. So it restores that fellowship. It brings us back into right favor with God. That is what propitiation does. Back to determining the test that we really know Him. Determine if we really know Him. 
there will be evidence in our lives that we are truly acquainted with God, that we know Him, that He is our friend. Our passage made it very clear. By this we will know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments. How can we say that we know Him and disobey His commandments? It's very clear. Jesus narrated, you know, we think of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Do we keep them? You say, well, Jesus narrowed it down to two. Well, yes, He did. Matthew 22, 34-40. But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Him a question, testing Him. They were always testing Him, weren't they? And saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, and this absolutely is number one, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I'll add to this. With all that is within you. Right? That's how much we're to love Him. I know it said don't add to, but I think God's okay with that. With all that is within you, we're to love Him. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. My friends, if one keeps these two, you keep the ten. Right? Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all that is within you, as I said, then you're going to be in right relationship with God. You're going to follow the ten commandments. I'm going to get to them. But if you love your neighbor as yourself, again, you're going to keep the commandments concerning your neighbor. So let's turn to them. We have time. Let's look at those. And we're going to see how keeping those two will keep the ten. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 3. You shall have no other God before me. So if you love God, you're not going to have other gods. You're not going to set up for yourself false gods. You shall not make for yourself a carved image at any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. There it is right there. Look how it's tied to the first John. Those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you love God, you will not take His name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So if we love God, we'll, 
as he said, narrowed it down to the two. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You'll keep those. You're not going to worship false gods. You're not going to make a carved image of anything even in heaven to worship it. He is the invisible God. Next, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. They're not paying attention. (laughs) You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. My friends, let's go with Jesus' two commandments. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from him, are you? You're not going to covet his belongings. You're not going to go after his wife. You're not going to bear false witness. He didn't change a thing, did he? By giving us those two commands. He didn't change one of the ten. Matthew 5 tells us He didn't come to change it. He came to fulfill it. Not one dot or one tittle will be changed. Keep His commandments. By this we know, my friends, it's not about the ten commandments written on the stone now because they're to be written here in our hearts. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. By this we know that we are in Him when we keep His commandments. We will know that He is in us and we are in Him. We should delight ourselves in Him. Delight ourselves in His law. We should find a delight in that. There's so many other passages we could go to. In Isaiah, the Lord is pleased with those who delight themselves in His law. Delight themselves in Him. Serving Him should not be a chore, should not be a task, but it should be a delight. I was just thinking earlier that, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of preparation involved in preparing for Bible studies, a lot of time involved in preparing for messages. And I just had to pray, Lord, make it not be a chore. But Lord, make it be a delight for me. Make it be a delight. And that should be all of our prayers. Lord, in my service for You, in my faithfulness to You, in my walk with You, let it not be a chore, but let it be a delight. Let's serve Him with joy and hope and peace and lovingness in our hearts. That's what He delights in. So Lord, make all of Your ways a delight for me that I can be a delight to You. Can that be our prayer? Amen.